This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. Again, Luke, 20, Luke 19, beginning at verse 28, all the way down to verse 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as though they were told to them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are a thankful people. We gather here in this, your sanctuary, to sing your praises. We have much to be thankful for. As we look around, we recognize the way in which you have tenderly cared for us in every aspect of our life. The very air we breathe is a gift from you. Lord, we're thankful for all the provision you make, but Lord, we're especially thankful for the provision of Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, that your Son, our Lord, would have taken on human flesh, would have lived a sinless life for what purpose but to go to a cross we deserved, to take our sin upon him and to give us his righteousness. Lord, that great exchange is a powerful testimony of your great unfailing love for your people. God, we know we are blessed. We are blessed to even be able to pray and know that we are heard. Because, Lord, when we pray, we don't pray by our own power or in our own ability or believe that we're heard because of our own goodness. No, we know that we are heard because of Jesus Christ, his work, his righteousness, which has been placed upon us. As we have been adopted into your family as your children, sons and daughters of the great king that we have a privilege to come boldly to the throne of grace and we may ask anything and you hear us as a loving father 
Lord, we're blown away by the love we have been shown. And we pray as your people that we would be faithful as your disciples, that we would be faithful as your ambassadors, that we would be faithful as your witnesses, that we would see the great privilege we ourselves have been given to be given the lavished love of God. May we be faithful. May we be desiring more and more of you and not the things of this world. May our hearts be warm to you rather than the things of the world. May we hunger and thirst for your righteousness to be made more in your image, to be closer every day with you. God, we recognize that we live in a world that is filled with ugliness, a world that is desperately thirsty for the true living water that only you can provide. Lord, as we turn on our TV sets or as we listen to the radio in our car, we're reminded of the cruelty in this world. We think of the people in Ukraine and all that they're suffering. We pray for the refugees as they flee a war-torn cities and states. God, help us to be loving, for we ourselves have received such an abundance of love. God, show us your mercy. We pray for peace. We pray for provision for those in need. We know that there are many who are on the streets hungry and thirsty. May we in your name provide that cup of cold water or that food to eat. But Lord, may our ministry not stop just simply at deeds, but may we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that every soul truly longs for. May lives be changed. And Lord, may that begin in us this day. As we gather under your word, by the power of your spirit, speak to us. Unblock our ears, unblind our eyes, soften our hearts. Draw us to you. God, speak through your servant, Pastor Ian, this morning. Fill his mouth with your words. Lord, may he say the very things that you've laid upon his heart. May he declare you in your majesty. And may we be warmed and filled. But God, we pray that we would not be left unchanged, but that when we leave this place, we would be different. We pray believing you will do even better than we know how to ask or pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said. Thank you, Aaron. And uh, good morning to everyone. So what is this uh, day that we are celebrating today, this Palm Sunday? I pulled out onto Mack Avenue on my side of town this morning, stopped behind a red light, a Jeep Wagoneer pulled up behind me. I looked in my rearview mirror and there was a couple. The woman had a palm branch in her hand. I thought, oh, how appropriate. 
and I continued to watch, she started to tickle her husband under his chin with it. And I said to myself, that's not quite the spirit of the thing. But at least they were going to church and they were going to celebrate the wonder of God's grace and love and kindness. And you and I are here today to do the same. All four Gospels tell us this wonderful story. They're each telling it from a different perspective, and there's a detail here and a clue there. But in every one of them, it's the actions of Jesus that, that beg for a reaction. The king of the Jews is coming down from the Mount of Olives toward Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. He's willingly accepting the praise that is due him. And we're struck by how careful and deliberate his actions are. It is a well-planned drama. It is calculated to evoke a response. It's as if Jesus is playing that game, who am I? And the responses he gets are all over the map. First, Jesus has to set the stage and set the scene. He sends two unnamed disciples to retrieve a donkey in the adjacent village. Ah, what a strange request that is. But by this time, the disciples are pretty used to those kinds of strange requests. On one occasion, Jesus had said to Peter, now you, you cast your net further out into the lake. Peter said, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, we'll do it. And you know how that story turned out. Jesus told these two disciples that he sent out, if anyone asks you, and he knew they would, if anyone says to you, why are you untying our donkey? Just say, the Lord has need of it, and everything will change. And sure enough, they went to the village. They saw the donkey and its mother. They began to untie that donkey. And someone said, it turned out to be the owner, Hey, what are you doing with our donkey? And the disciple said, the Lord has need of it. And indeed, it changed everything. Was all of this prearranged with the owner? Well, we're not sure. We're not told. But whatever, Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. Here's what we notice in these opening verses. These disciples did exactly what they were told to do. Oh, I'm sure they had their doubts and they scratched their heads a little bit. Maybe Nathaniel was sitting in the back overhearing the command of our Lord and saying to his neighbor, did he say go get a donkey? We're not told whether or not Jesus even explained in advance, why he was doing this. 
They just followed his instructions. And when the owner heard the magic word, the Lord has need of it, he consented immediately. These disciples are aligning themselves with Jesus' drama. They often questioned him. They often doubted. We know before this week is out that they are all going to bolt. We know that Peter is going to deny his Lord. But in this story, all four gospel writers paint a picture that they're following in line. They're listening to the master and doing what he says. They're obeying him. The owner of the donkey obeys. The disciples obey. They don't know everything that's coming down the road, but they do know that their job is to obey the master. And these disciples will continue to do so the rest of their lives. For the next 30 or so years in the book of Acts, they will name the name of Christ. They will boldly stand against all of those who are against them. But after all, folks, that's what disciples are supposed to do. That's what believers are supposed to do. That's what servants of the master are supposed to do. You obey. And folks, this morning, if you name the name of Christ and you call him Savior and Master and Lord, you had better be very, very sure that you are falling in line and doing what your master tells you to do and obeying him at every turn in your life. That is what true disciples do. They believe, they trust, they obey, and these disciples are looking pretty good in this story. So the stage is set, the drama has begun, the disciples begin to throw down their cloaks ahead of Jesus. But they must have thought to themselves, what are people going to think? Is anyone even going to show up to this drama? What are they going to make of this ridiculous scene? And if they do show up, will they laugh, will they, laugh? Will they scoff, will they roll their eyes? But the disciples obeyed. When I was a young boy, I had a friend down the street, a couple doors down. We came up with the bright idea of putting on a puppet show for the neighborhood kids. We'd never done anything like this before. I'd like to say that it was a wonderful, it was planned to be a wonderful program and we were sharing the gospel, but it wasn't, wasn't like that. We just cut out some pictures from a coloring book with some current comic characters that everyone knew about, put them on 
pieces of wood, put them on the end of a stick. That was our version of a puppet. And we built a puppet stage, set it up in my basement. We practiced, rehearsed. We had this whole thing planned to the hilt. We must have put weeks into it. But we, we wondered to ourselves, is anyone going to show up? Is anyone going to pay the nickel we were charging? Well, Jesus didn't have to worry about that. He had been doing miracles. He had raised Lazarus from the dead. We're told in this gospel that a multitude of his disciples joined in rejoicing and praising God for the mighty works that they had seen. And you need the other gospel writers to fill in the gaps and tell you the rest of the story. We're told that the crowd also chimed in and threw their cloaks down. They threw branches in front of Jesus. We're even told in one of the Gospels that they showed up with the branches as if they were anticipating this and they were ready. It's John's Gospel that tells us that they were palms. They sang, Hosanna to the Son of David. Isn't it interesting? Luke doesn't even use the Hosanna word in his story. And we're told the children joined in and that the whole city was stirred up. The crowds could answer the question if anyone asked, who is this? They knew the answer. They said, this is Jesus of Nazareth. He's a great prophet. We are privileged to have him in our presence, and we are here to praise him. We're told elsewhere that Jesus went into the city and healed the lame and the blind. We're told that this was all in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 9, showing that Messiah would come gentle and humble, not like a conquering king. Jesus got exactly the response he was looking for. And Luke stresses the point that it was what the crowds were saying that is so fascinating. They were quoting from Psalm 118. It's the same song that we began our service with this morning. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But do they fully understand everything that they're saying? Are they able to connect the dots in that psalm? Do they really realize that this is the Messiah that is before them and that he is worthy of all of their praise and their adoration? Do they understand that this king is not an earthly king, not a political savior that they're looking for? This is one who brings salvation and deliverance that is spiritual not political. Well, we know the answer to that question. Obviously, there were some people who got it. I would like to think the disciples understood. 
And I'm sure that as they were participating in this wonderful drama, and they realized, hey, this is catching on. The people are chiming in. They understand who this Jesus is. And he's being welcomed with open arms. They believed in Jesus. They trusted him. They had intention of obeying him. But you and I know perfectly well before this week is out, many of the people of that same crowd would say, crucify him. Just because a lot of people show up, just because the churches may be filled at this time of the year, just because people can name the name of Christ and sing the hymns and read the stories and listen to the sermon and even say, Hosanna, and wave a palm branch, that's no guarantee that the truth of the gospel has really settled in and changed their lives. Then you and I should examine ourselves, put ourselves in the position of the crowd, maybe the position of the children who've cried out. Who knows the depth of their understanding and their commitment? Probably in many cases it was shallow and they were simply mimicking what others were doing going along with the crowd but the crowd could be fickle God looks at your heart and my heart looks for genuine conviction oh by the way I was in my basement wondering whether anyone would show up for our puppet show And we waited. And then there was a knock at the side door. I always remember the door opening up and a couple of kids came down the steps and then there were more and then there were more. Pretty soon the whole basement was filled with people. We had to put on a show. We did our best. And we were amazed that we were going to pull this thing off as silly as it was, as non-gospel as it was. I don't think I ever told my mother what we really talked about in that puppet show. I think she would have said, use this as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. We didn't do that. We just did a silly show. It was nonsense. Well, we pulled it off, and they came. And as they left, I remember some of them said, you know, Ian, if you ever do this again, let us know. We'll come again. Might even give you a nickel again. There were some people in the crowds that heard what they were saying about Jesus, the Pharisees. They understood what was happening they were offended and they were insulted. They knew exactly what was being said as Psalm 118 was being quoted. They heard the crowds and they knew what Jesus was doing. He had set this whole thing up. He was allowing praise to him as Messiah. 
that 118th Psalm. It's, it's worthy of your reading. It starts as we started this morning, talking about God the Father and his love and the fact that his love is steadfast and endures forever. And the psalmist says, I have confidence in that God. Others may reject him, they may scoff at what I believe, but as for me, he's the rock upon whom I have built my life. Then the psalmist goes on to say, and my heavenly father has sent someone in his name. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Messiah will come. The Messiah will be the stone that the builders rejected, but he will be the stone upon which I can build my life and will in fact be the cornerstone. By the way, a few days later, Jesus will stand before the high priests and use that very same text and make sure that they understood, yes, you got the message right. That is talking about me. And when I came into Jerusalem riding on that donkey, when you connect the dots and you try to figure out who am I, well, now you know. No wonder that when Jesus did that, the text tells us that those, those Pharisees scratched their heads. How can these people be so deluded? They actually believe this man is the Messiah? Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus' response was, if they are silent, the very stones will cry out. My name will be glorified one way or another. Whether you want to be among those believers or not is totally up to you. You may reject me. For you, I may be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But for many, I'm the cornerstone. Many years ago, I had an opportunity to gather with a family to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the mother and the father. And in that event, their children were there. It was a large Catholic family, wonderful church-going people. And among those people who were in attendance were some people who had grown much older in the intervening years. One of those young men who was not so young anymore came up to me and said, Hey, Ian, remember those puppet shows you used to put on? I think I responded, my recollection, it was only once. But yeah, you remember that? Yeah. As soon as I saw you, I thought of that. That was the silliest thing I ever saw. You were goofy. You and your friend. What a, what a show you put on. It's embarrassing. Well, at least he came. <laughs> 
Someone asked me after the first service, did he get his nickel back? <laughs> and then he asked me, so Ian, what do you do for a living? And I knew this young man had long since forsaken the faith of his family. He grew up in a devout family that went to church every week, but he had no patience for this thing that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I cleared my throat, and I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a minister. I'm, I'm a pastor. He said, well, you're not Catholic, are you? I said, no. You know enough about our family and yours. When we were growing up, we weren't on the same page. And I'll never forget what his response was. After all these years, and you're still slinging nonsense out there. And I had to read what I wrote here because it's not exactly the way he said it. I didn't know how to respond. I was so hurt. I was so offended. The man grew up in the same neighborhood that I did. His family went to church every week and he was throwing my savior to the curb and he was offensive and didn't even respect the dignity of his own parents in the event that was being celebrated. And it occurred to me, as it has often occurred to me, folks, you, are, you and I are not in a majority. Here we are celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ on this wonderful Palm Sunday. All of this coming week, we're going to rehearse the story of God's gift to this planet as he sent his son to be our savior and our redeemer. They put him on a cross. They put him in a tomb. He rose again on that first Easter. And you and I who love that message and love that savior, Rejoice that we have been on the receiving end of that good news. But folks around us and folks in our families and folks that we care about very deeply could care less about what we believe. And we know it. And it's painful. These disciples had to decide after they had bolted on Jesus during his trials, and especially Peter, who denied him, they had to make up their mind, are we really with him? He has embraced us with his love and grace. Are we prepared to serve him? Are we going to continue to be disciples and listen to him and believe him and obey him? Well, the good news is they did. And Peter and John found themselves not too long after this standing before the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas, using the very same passage that Jesus used and saying, this Savior, this Messiah is the one that we worship. And whether or not 
you believe him or trust in him, that's your problem. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter will say, some people and many people will, re will reject the stone. They will be offended at the rock of their salvation and they will not cling to him. But we come to him as living stones coming to the living stone. And he transforms our life and he makes us a child of God. And the Apostle Paul will say in his letter to the Ephesians, he's the cornerstone. Brothers and sisters, we serve an awesome God. If you know him and you love him and you call him master, then obey him. Let him lead your life. And this morning we rejoice and we say, Hosanna to the son of David. Let's pray. Father, you have amazed and astounded us by your grace, your kindness, your compassion. We don't deserve it. We remind ourselves every Sunday when we gather together that we are weak and frail and sinful. We need your compassion and your care. So Lord, we receive and accept and we embrace the promises that you've showered upon us. During this coming week as we will have an opportunity to remind ourselves of just how wonderful you are and the events of the story of our redemption. Father, speak to us afresh. Give us hearts that are responsive to the message and help us not only to be shouting and praising God with our lips, but Lord, transform our lives and help us to be obedient to the call that you have placed upon our lives. And help us, Lord, not to be ashamed, not to be embarrassed, to take the heat and the persecution when it comes our way and hold our heads high and say, I know the Savior. I believe the promises of God. I expect to see him once again risen and Lord of my life, and I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.